0: Money FM 89.3, best of your money. Read with your money, only on Money FM 89.3.
1: He is the best-selling author who has solved the puzzle of motivation and selling for thousands of readers all over the world. He's written seven books, and in his latest, he takes on a topic that has quite a bit of stigma attached to it, I have to say. Daniel Pink has written a book where he says what we regret in life can act like the negative of a photograph, can actually be a map in reverse that can nevertheless point us to what we need to do. For a good life. How exactly you ask? Well, let's find out with the author of The Power of Regret, Daniel Pink. Welcome to read here on Money FM.
0: Thank you for having me. It's great to be with you from a uh, far, far, far away.
1: <laughs> oh, the power of technology. We're thrilled to have you. Uh, so many listeners have been texting and calling me to say they're really looking forward to hearing from you this morning. So thank you for being here. It's an honor. Now, you know, Daniel, we have cultural sayings like you can't move forward if you keep looking in the rearview mirror, right? So it seems as if societal forces want to stress that moving from regret is the best way to deal with it. So why in this book do you make the case for regret?
0: Well, I think that we do want to move from regret. We want to use regret. And I think the problem here, Michelle, is that what society is telling us is not what science is telling us. Uh, Society is telling us, hey, don't look backward. Don't have any regrets. Focus on the positive. Uh, never be negative. And what the science tells us is something very different. Science tells us that regret is ubiquitous. Everybody has regrets. Uh, the only people who don't have regrets are, are five-year-olds because their brains haven't developed, people with brain lesions and neurodegenerative disorders, and sociopaths. The rest of us uh, have regrets. It's one of the most common emotions that human beings experience, and it is arguably the most common negative emotion that human beings experience. So, And, and the reason it's so widespread, even though I don't like regret, Mm-hmm. Nobody likes it. The reason it's so widespread is because if we treat it right, it's useful. It instructs. It clarifies. It tells us how to do better. And it all hinges on how we deal with it. We shouldn't ignore our regrets. No way. But we also shouldn't wallow in them. We should confront them. Think about them. Use them as signals. Use them as information. If we do that, there are an array of benefits.
1: What is the difference, Daniel, between regret and guilt and are both useful?
0: Mm. Uh, great, great point. To me, the way I look at this is that is that guilt is a form. Is a is a is a variety of regret. That is, it's a regret about some kind of moral transgression. And you know, in in my research, I have co- collected now over twenty thousand regrets from people in one hundred and nine country one hundred and nine countries, including a few hundred from Singapore, actually. And 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 what we found is that one of the big four categories of regret are moral regrets. If only I'd done the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that 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 guilt is a Guilt is a variety of regret, but the truth of the matter is that most regrets are not guilt. Most guilt is a regret, but most regrets are not guilt.
1: Most regrets are not guilt, but guilt can be part of the, the regret that you've...
0: Yeah, guilt is, guilt is a form of regret, but we have other regrets. So if I say, so I have regrets regret to say, oh, if only I had taken that trip. That, I don't feel guilty about that. I just feel like a fool who didn't step up. If I, if I say, oh, I, I, if only I'd asked that person out on a date, I don't feel guilty about that. Yes. You see what I mean? So yeah, yes. anyway, I, I made that too complicated, but guilt is a variety of regret. That's the easiest way to put it. We're
1: going to talk about the four different types of regrets that are yeah. broadly categorized. And I love that website. It's still up there, right? People can can, you know, you can hover your mouse over different maps, or the map of the world, basically, and see what people are regretting yeah. all over the world. Really yeah. terrific. Now, we know that pain is an important indicator because it moves us to take action that is important for our survival. So why do you think we feel our regrets so deeply?
0: That's a really, really important point. And here's the thing, exactly as you say, and and I think it often goes unnoticed, that pain itself is instructive, that pain tells us something, right? Pain is a signal. It's an unpleasant signal, but it's a signal. And emotional pain, negative emotions, are a signal. Now, here's the thing you don't want to have pain throughout your life these think about physical pain you don't have you don't want to have pain throughout your life but you want to have the capacity to experience some kind of physical pain because you know wait a second that's too heavy for me to lift if I lift that I'm gonna hurt myself uh, that's too I can't walk 47 kilometers today because when I get to the 30th kilometer I'm gonna feel tired and my hips are gonna hurt you know that pain is a signal and so with 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 emotional signals what we want is we want to have plenty of positive emotions, plenty of positive emotions, more positive emotions and negative emotions, but we don't want to have only positive emotions. Mm. So I don't, you know, imagine if you went through life without the capacity to feel fear, you wouldn't survive. You'd be in a burning building. Oh, I don't feel any fear. And you'd, you know, you'd be, you'd be gone. Imagine if I, or, you know, some, some deity could wave a magic wand and say, I'm going to extinguish grief from the human condition. I don't know if I'd want that, because why do we grieve? We grieve because we love. And so I think that you mentioned society at the beginning, Michelle. Mm -hmm. I think we as as a broader society have to equip people with the idea that negative emotions are part of life and that we should treat them in in a systematic way. And when we do that, like pain, they are signals. And regret in particular is a signal of what we value, and it offers guidance on how to do better in the future.
1: Daniel Pink is the best-selling author of *The Power of Regret*, and he's joining us live here on Reed. I'm Michelle Martin. Nine ten on the clock this morning. Daniel, we're a business news station, Money FM, eighty-nine point three, and a lot of our of listeners are investors making choices without perfect information, <laughs> probably losing money a lot of the time. What do you say to investors who regret their choices in the stock market?
0: Yeah, well, I would go. So I would be focused less on outcomes. If you if you want to scrutinize your ability to make investment decisions, focus less on outcomes and more on the decision itself. So so stocks go up and stocks go down. Some things work and some things don't. You know, ultimately everything reverts to the mean anyway. So so you have to go back and say, okay, did I buy a thousand shares of? netflix because i just watched a movie on netflix and i thought it was a really good movie you know it's like that's a bad decision but did you say well i bought a thousand shares of netflix because i saw that streaming is becoming popular all over the world that the adoption rate for netflix all over the world was going through the roof and right now the stock declined and with the information i had then i made the best decision that i could you know my my own view is is don't pick individual stocks Reduce your fees and, and bet on the and bet on the overall market (laughs)
1: A bet on an index, But I'm not
0: here to give financial advice, but that's...
1: Maybe in your next book, Daniel.
0: Oh, sure. That's just what the world needs is another (laughs) book of financial advice.
1: The sociology of making choices in a financial market. I don't know. Now, you've identified four core regrets in your book based on on this huge sampling of thousands of regrets. You say it's up to 20,000 now from people all over the world. What is it that most people regret that can show us what we need to do for a good life, Daniel.
0: Yeah, well, you, I mean, you said that at the beginning, too, which is exactly what these four regrets teach us. So one regret that people have, which is related to finances, um, is, is 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 foundation regrets. Foundation regrets are, if only I'd done the work. And these are small choices, small bad choices we make early that accumulate to negative consequences later on. And so one of the most common ones mm-hmm. is, well, we, we see it in health. I made bad health decisions. That I didn't eat right in an exercise. We see it sometimes in education. Uh, I wish I had worked harder in school or university. We, we see it a lot in finance, though. Huge numbers of regrets around the world of how I spent too much and saved too little. Spent too much and saved too little. There is not a single person, Michelle, in the twenty thousand who regrets whose regret is, "Oh, I just saved too much money." <laughs> no, not a single person regrets that. So these are things about you know, and these are hard. You know, th- these are these are each individual decision we make. Doesn't have cataclysmic consequences, but the accumulation of them does. So that's one. Second category are what I call boldness regrets. Or are if only I'd taken the chance. These affect a lot of business and careers. So we see people who regret uh, not traveling, not speaking up, not asserting themselves, not asking people out on dates. That was a surprisingly big one. But also people who regret. Staying in lackluster jobs and not going out on their own, Mm. Um, not starting a business, not being entrepreneurial in their lives. Huge numbers of regrets about that. Moral regrets we talked about. uh, If only I'd done the right thing. And then a lot of connection regrets, which are regrets about relationships uh, and not mostly romantic relationships, just the full suite of relationships we have in our lives that come apart. And you want to reach out, but you don't because you think it's going to be awkward and you think the other side is not going to care. And so it drifts apart even more, and then sometimes it's too late. So those are the four regrets with remarkable consistency all over the world.
1: So amazing. So do the smart thing. Take a chance. Do the right thing and reach out when it comes to relationships so that you keep them strong. Uh,
0: I mean, I got to tell you, that, I mean, that is very, I mean, from reading through these regrets, because as you said at the top, when people tell you what they regret the most, they're telling you what they value the most. Right. And if there's any guidance on this, certainly on the connection regrets, and, and this is true for me, I've like, I've changed my behavior. If I find myself at a juncture, and most of these regrets occur at a juncture where you have, you know, two choices or multiple choices. If I'm at a juncture where I'm thinking, should I reach out or should I not reach out? For me, the fact that I've arrived at that juncture answers the question, reach out. Wow. Um, and, and I also think in the, in the boldness stuff, I think there's a, there's a good lesson to, and I think it, it really crosses cultures. There's a there's a there's a there's a guidance to have a slight bias for action, to try stuff. Like I think in some level we, we we're over-indexed on our fears of risk on everything, on speaking up at work, on you know uh, asking somebody out on a date, uh, of starting a business. Um, and so I think we should have a slight bias for action as of a bias for reaching out. A bias for doing the right thing and a bias for building a strong foundation for ourselves and our family and the people we care about.
1: It's almost like the blueprint of the hero's journey. And if you think of yourself as a hero of your own life, and then, you know, there's a parallel between what we see in literature, for example, and and the four core regrets that you bring up in this book.
0: Well, that's a fascinating point, one I hadn't thought about. I had not made the connection between this and the hero's journey. There is some research in personality psychology that's fascinating, uh, that suggests that what we see, we we define ourselves, we, we think of ourselves in narrative terms. And there are two reigning narratives about how we explain our lives. One is what this guy Dan McAdams at Northwestern calls a contamination narrative, which is when things go from good to bad. The other is what is known as a redemption narrative, where things go from bad to good. And his argument is that the people who are flourishing psychologically, professionally, et cetera, think of their lives as redemption narratives where things are going from bad to good. And regret is in some ways a redemption narrative. It says if we look backward and reflect on our mistakes and our missteps and learn from them, we can do better in the future. And so there is a very heavy – it's a really good point – a very heavy narrative aspect of this of, of how we reckon with regret. And if we see our lives as redemption narratives, we have the capacity to make it better. We can look backward, reflect on what we did wrong, extract lessons from that and do better in the future. That is a very, very healthy way to live.
1: That's a beautiful frame for it. You're listening to Reid here on Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin and he is Daniel Pink. Daniel, in the business world, leaders often want to appear bulletproof. Uh, is regret useful for business leadership?
0: I think it is. And I I think that that bulletproof might not be the right strategy. Uh, One of the things that you see is that we we fear all of us, but particularly business leaders, that if we admit even a small vulnerability or confess to a small mistake, we think that people will we, we, we suspect that people will think less of us. And we have 30 years of behavioral science showing that in many cases, not all, but in many, many cases, people actually think more of us. They admire our courage. They admire our honesty. They admire our authenticity. And so I do think that a thing that leaders can do is actually share with their team, hey, let me tell you about one regret, but but not as a way to just like not, not start sobbing and you know crying about it, but saying, let me tell you about a regret that I have. Let me tell you what I learned from it. And let me tell you what I'm going to do about it. And I think that that can be a very catalytic conversation among, among teams because what it does is that it normalizes regret and regret should be normalized because it's normal.
1: <laughs> it is indeed. <laughs> uh, we all feel it across uh, cultures. Everybody feels it for a reason, right?
0: <laughs> if you have a functioning brain, if you're over five years old, have a healthy brain and are not a sociopath, you experience regret.
1: You share a great process of thinking through our regrets in your TED Talk. So I wonder if you can give our listeners a a sliver of that. How do we reckon with our regrets in a healthy way, Daniel?
0: Sure. So so one thing what we do, so, the, it'd be, so I think of it as inward, outward, forward. So inward, outward, forward. So inward, we have to reframe how we think about the regret in ourselves. And a lot of times when we make mistakes, especially leaders, especially high-achieving people, we're just vicious in the way we talk to ourselves. We talk to ourselves with a meanness and a viciousness that we would never talk to anybody else. So don't do that. Instead, treat yourself with kindness rather than contempt. This is the whole line of research in what's called self-compassion. Treat yourself with kindness rather than contempt. Recognize that your missteps are part of the human condition. Any regret that any of your listeners has, if you give me 90 seconds, I can find basically the identical one in the database of 20,000, all right? I have regrets thinking, oh, my God, I'm such a terrible person. It's so awful. And I look at this database of regrets, and I'm like, okay, I'm so not special, all right? Uh, Everybody had so so. Your regrets are part of the human condition, and that regrets are a moment in your life, not the full measure of your life. So, reframe inside. Uh, There's a there's a strong argument to make for disclosure and talking about your regret and writing about your regret, even if you don't want to do it publicly. um, That converting this very abstract blobby emotion into concrete words is a way to uh, defang it in a way, in a way to begin the sense making process. So. So so disclose it cuz that's an unburdening if you want but certainly write about it or talk about it.
1: Sorry Daniel, disclose it not just to yourself but with someone else. It's got to be safe psychologically. It's up to you. Space,
0: I mean there right? there's a there's a strong argument for disclosing to other people. I just want to recognize that not everybody feels comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. But but disclosing to others is a way to unburden yourself and the other thing that disclosure does is because you have to do it with language is that you go from this abstract emotion to concrete words think about our emotions again is that they're abstract that's what makes positive emotions feel so good it's what makes negative emotions feel so bad and so with negative emotions, you want to move from abstract to concrete. And a way to do that is through language. So there's even evidence showing that writing about your regret for 15 minutes a day for three consecutive days is a way to reduce a lot of its sting and to make sense of it. And so finally, the other thing, so you're, you're reframing it inward. You're treating yourself with kindness rather than contempt. You're talking about it, writing about it, disclosing it to make sense of it. The final thing is you want to extract a lesson from it. That's essential. And we tend to be terrible at solving our own problems but pretty good at solving other people's problems. So you want to do something that's known as self-distancing where you take a step back and you you talk to yourself in the third person for instance or like one of like like for business leaders seriously one of the best decision making tools for business leaders comes from Andy Grove the former CEO of Intel who when he was faced with a tough vexing decision would say to himself okay what would my successor do? What would my successor do? So he's taking a step back, imagining the situation from someone else's point of view. And so when we do those things, uh, we can actually use regret as this very powerful emotion as an engine for forward progress.
1: Very useful tools. In your book, you talk about a regret circle. How does that work?
0: Yeah, this is an idea that's sort of gurgling up on the edges here. And what it would be, let's say you and I would gather with say three other three colleagues, and we would go around, and I would do something like you know I would start perhaps, and I would say. Here 's a regret that I have here's the lesson I learned from it, and then I would go to the other four of you for advice on what to do next because you're going to be better at solving my problems than I'm going to be. Then you would go and you would say here's a regret that I have here's the lesson that I learned from it, and then the other four of us would would give it, would give you that and so again, this is a way to sort of embody a lot of these 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 techniques because you're talking about it, you're disclosing it, you're unburdening yourself, you're normalizing it. You have social support and you have people, you know, distance enough to help you help you solve the problem.
1: So I'm imagining being in this circle, this regret circle, and just the idea of sharing one of my biggest regrets. I can feel the emotion coming up with it. So what are the best ways to to separate emotion and process your regret?
0: Well I mean I think well, here 's the thing regret is an emotion, so you can 't separate regret itself is an emotion, that's so you can 't separate it entirely mm. but what you 're doing here is you are the process in a way converts your regret from something that you only you feel to something that you think about and learn from and and that's and that's a big part of what like negative emotions. What happens is is that with negative emotions in general, including our most common negative emotion regret. Mm. We say a negative emotion. Some of us say, ignore, ignore. Just, I don't you know, put your fingers in your ears. We ignore it. And other people say, well, feelings are the, emotions are the only truth, or they get, they get toppled by th- those emotions. What you want to do is like feelings are, emotions are for thinking. So emotions are part of life, positive, especially negative emotions are for thinking. So when you feel that negative emotion, when you feel the pain that you're talking about, it's a signal. It's telling you something. And you have a choice at that moment. You can ignore it. You can wallow in it. Or you can confront it and think about it. And when we do that and we do it in a systematic way, it's, it's powerful. It helps us. I mean, the benef- there's research showing it can help us become better negotiators, better yeah. problem solvers, better strategists, better parents, find more meaning in life.
1: That's if you can stop beating yourself up along the way. But I can see what you mean by going through this process Takes away some of the charge of that regret.
0: Exactly, and for beating and and this practice of self-compassion stops that march toward beating yourself up. Like you begin to think about it, and then you start walking down this road to where you're beating yourself up, and you want to interrupt that. And the way you interrupt that is with self-compassion. You don't say to yourself internally, "You freaking idiot! What is wrong with you? You're the worst person." You don't talk to yourself that way because you wouldn't talk to anybody else that way. You treat yourself with kindness rather than contempt. You recognize that you're not alone, that whatever regret you have, someone else has it too. And equally important is that you you look at that regret, that mistake as a moment in your life, not the full measure of our life. A lot of times when something good happens to us, we do something good. We don't say we, we, we say, OK, well, that was just once and you know, maybe luck or whatever. But if some, if we do something bad, we're like, Oh my God, that's the full, what happened in the last half hour is the full expression of who I am as a human being on this planet for 50 years. And that's erroneous.
1: What do you do if you can't get the lesson out of your regret?
0: Talk to somebody else. So if you can't get it through self-distancing, ask somebody else, what do you think I should do? Again, there's a lot of social psychology on this as well. People love giving advice they love it. They love it. They love it. And people are generally pretty good at advising others. They're, we're, we're terrible at advising ourselves, but we're pretty good at, at advising others. In fact, this is you know another kind of business tip here that comes out in some of the research is that you're always better off like in, on a job or anything asking for advice rather than feedback. So if you say you know, it's like, so, if you, so you do the show today and instead of asking your producer or, or listeners or whoever, you know, is who's, who's listening, saying, do you have any feedback for me on my show today? Say, do you have any advice for me after the show after the show? And people are much more willing to give advice and what we know about. So so asking for advice from other people is a way to deal with that.
1: Yeah, it's so fascinating. We are so thrilled to have had this conversation to speak with you, Daniel. Thank you for joining us.
0: What a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: He's the author of The Power of Regret, the book that we're reading all today here on Money FM. I'm Michelle Martin. He's Daniel Pink.
0: To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.